And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by El Nino, the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jake King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you live from a fancy room in the depths of the TD Garden. This is a nice room. I it's like this room. Very nice room. Uh, we're here after Game Five, and Jay, I thought it was gonna be a hit, and it turns out it fucking sucked. That was a terrible, terrible performance from the Boston Celtics. They lose one fifteen to one hundred three, and that's only because Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser came in and like. Scored 12 points. It was not uh, as close as that. Uh, the Celtics just... If I'm being honest, I actually, at the at the first half, they're down nine. I thought they were, like, in the game. I thought their process was, like, fine. I thought they had the potential to get back in this game. But at every single point where it felt like the Celtics had a chance to try to build momentum, whether it was getting two stops in a row or getting uh, some buckets... They just got in their own way, and just the lead went from 9 quickly to 19, and they had some moments, some runs, but then it's like, boom, Maxi 3, boom, Joel B chase down block. It's like they never were able to string more than three plays together in the second half. Yeah, I felt like they had a bad start in the first quarter, and then they got tight. And once they got tight... They screwed up every chance they had to make it a better game. In the second quarter... They, they just start they, on a... Like they give up a 7-0 run with Embiid yeah, on the bench. with Embiid on the bench. They left Tatum in after he played the whole first quarter to guide those non-Embiid minutes and still gave up a 7-0 run just like that. That was bad. Then they f- still somehow get the Sixers in the bonus within like the first few minutes of that quarter... Started getting free throws, and then just foul everybody. Grant Williams made two awful fouls on Joel Embiid that were both shooting fouls. The first, he just smushed him with his face. Yeah, he was just leaning on him, and Embiid did the right thing of just like, all right, if you're going to be physically leaning on me, I'm going to jump. Just smushed him with his face. The second, slapped down on the ball um, when Embiid was going up for a a jump shot in the face-up post. Multiple fouls of three-point shooters. Like, the things that they were very, I think, good at earlier in the series of just not doing those things, they didn't do tonight. And they did all of that. I agree. I think they got tight because they missed so many wide-open shots in the first half. 
especially from three. Al Horford was over six in the first half from three. The Celtics only shot five of 19, um, and it felt like they missed a lot of good open looks. I also think Philadelphia was physical as hell on the defensive end tonight. That resulted in the Celtics actually going to the free throw line a bunch, but it didn't feel like their offense was ever in rhythm. And so I thought they did actually a pretty decent job of continually attacking the rim, even though Joel Embiid was like a a major deterrent down there. And I thought Jason Tatum was actually making some good decisions about spraying the ball around once he got into the paint. They just didn't knock down any shots. And then they're playing basically in transition for the transition defense the rest of the time. And I just, their defense just wasn't, wasn't good tonight. There was just too many just kind of easy buckets with no resistance for Embiid and Maxie and Tobias Harris. And so they just never, they didn't stop any of the Sixers best players from having big efficient nights. Uh, Missoula pointed out, they let Maxie get to his right hand a couple times. And during the first quarter, he came off ball screens twice to the right. The first one, Jalen Brown just got caught up on a screen. The second one, I think it was Malcolm Brogdon, he went under and didn't contest at all, and Maxie just drilled one. Those helped him get going. Then he hit some tougher shots later. Um, Embiid, like, I thought, I just thought they gave him too many easy ones. Like, he's going to have... He's going to draw fouls. He's going to make tough shots. He's going to do all this stuff. And you have to live with that, and you have to be able to just stay solid. They didn't do that enough. Horford got caught, like, going for the up fake. Like, he did the little spin move to the baseline and faked it and then drew a Horford foul on that. So it was just like – and I I know it's really tough to stay down on Embiid and all that, but you have to force him to make jumpers. You have to – that's the game plan. Like, don't foul him. Force him to do tough shit. And be make, super, make super him. physical with him before he's shooting. I think that was, like, one of the things about that made the Grant Williams minute so tough is, like, Grant was has been very good earlier in the series of being super physical with Embiid and making him work. And I think that's very much part of uh, what the Celtics' defensive game plan was. But he comes in and commits fouls on consecutive possessions – I think the Celtics had actually cut it to five at that point. Like, they were, like, kind of getting back in the game, and then immediately comes in those two things. And Missoula seemingly just lose complete faith in Grant. We saw a lot more Robert Williams I wasn't tonight. surprised by that, honestly, because he's in there to guard Joel Embiid. And if you're going to have just bad game plan fouls, you can't be guarding Joel Embiid. Yeah, it, I, I would agree. I might have gone back to him at another point and be like, don't foul, uh, because... Robert Williams, when he's in the game, they just run the Harden Embiid pick and roll. Robert Williams drops back, and Joel Embiid just has the kind of easy foul line jumpers. And there's not that level of physicality and kind of trying to force him off his spot, which I, it's definitely harder to do when Embiid is setting the like setting the screen for Harden and not just kind of looking for the ball himself uh, at the nail. But like, it's just felt like the Celtics were just not there with a level of, of physicality. And then in in the first half, they just... Embiid got to the line a lot, I think, especially in the second quarter, and it felt like they took a while to actually just end up doubling him or start throwing him different looks. And so it, it they just nothing they had on defense was working at all tonight. And they gave up four offensive rebounds on Philly's first eight misses, which was just 
kind of a demoralizing way to start the game. It only resulted in five points, but I agree it wasn't like a, a good vibes for those, the rest of the Those are five points you could have eliminated. While they're also, they were shooting like 50% early on and still got those extra points. So it was just, that's tough to deal with. It makes offense harder. Uh, I thought Al Horford's misses were just deflating to the Celtics. They were all in the first half, the first six, were just like wide open. Um, I think Pina tweeted a stat that in the first half the Celtics were 2 of 11 on corner threes. Like when they get good looks from the corner, they're generally open. And, for and I think just, Marcus Smart made both of them, right? Uh, yeah, they just weren't able to knock really anything down. Uh, and they just got super deflated after that. And like all the players after the game, like Smart said it, Tatum said it, they just like felt tight. They weren't, I guess the energy wasn't right. And it's, I, I don't think. It will, I don't really think it was a lack of effort. I think it was either they were too tight or there was like a lack of focus and they like had mental mistakes. And I don't. It's not like they weren't trying out there. Like the the fact that they kept going to the rim, kept getting fouled, kept trying to do stuff. Um, I think it was indicative of effort. They just like as soon as they it like got away from them in the third quarter, it's just like oh, they're just not going to be able to like put multiple plays together. Yeah, they just didn't have the details tonight. The uh... The fouls, multiple fouls on Harden jump shots. Um, the foul by Rob when he just reached in. They had Harden guarded really well. And, like, if he's going to shoot a one-leg fadeaway with Derek White, I think it was Derek White at the time, might have been Malcolm Brogdon. But if you're going to shoot a one-leg fadeaway with one of those guys on you, like, cool. You, you, you cannot reach in in that moment and risk drawing a foul because your team's in a really good position already. Um... One theme from these games, especially the Celtics' losses in this series, they have not been able to force turnovers. And maybe that means they need to play more Rob Williams. Maybe that means they need to play big. Maybe and double bigs. But that's the interesting thing because like, they're generating these open looks. Obviously their offense has not been as good because if you put uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford in the game because it basically just gives Embiid someone to help off of. You can't really punish them. So it's like, do you completely just sell out on defense and hoping of generating more turnovers or more offense like that? You have to be able to generate turnovers somehow. Um, Tonight, Philly was just very comfortable. and It was like, especially in that second quarter, it felt like late in the second quarter, not early in the second quarter, because early in the second quarter was bad. After that 7-0 run, the Celtics were actually pretty good. They, like... Obviously, you don't want to give up the 7-0 run, but they were plus five the remaining 10 minutes and 30 seconds of the quarter. They actually, I thought, played, like, their best basketball. That's why I had, like, b- feeling better about their process about and their ability to get back into the game. Like, after that first colossal fuck-up, but then they could never just, like, you're already down so much, they could never really get back into it. That was when the fouls really haunted them, I felt like, because they were the ones in the bonus, and then MB just lived at the foul line from then on, and then then you've got you got to take the ball out of the rim. You got to work in half court. Uh, you know what was a wrinkle that I didn't expect to work, and it absolutely worked. I Daniel know, House. I, was, I knew you were going to say Daniel House. Daniel House. Daniel House is very good. The sex haver himself. Daniel House was very good. He I thought his size and physicality defensively. Was important. He was able to cut off some of the Celtics' dribble penetration. He 
missed his first two threes, I think, but ended up with 10 points, I believe it was, and made a one nice pass from the middle. Punished them he in transition. He had some, like, Euro buckets, Euro step buckets. Daniel House did not expect that wild card to work, and it worked. And he was very good. I just thought that was, like, pretty indicative of of how the Celtics night went. They were not able to take anything away, including Daniel House. Yeah, just going back to that moment, 6.50 left in the second quarter. They cut it to five. Grant checks in. Stupid lean in foul of Embiid. He goes to the line. Then fouls Embiid for the reach. Uh, lead gets back up to nine for the Sixers. Then the Celtics miss two wide-open threes in a row. And then Jalen commits two offensive fouls on back-to-back possessions, and all of a sudden it's an 11-point game again, and they're just like, all the kind of good work they had done to get back into that game was just lost. And so kind of it's like, they couldn't even, they couldn't even string together good possessions after that. Uh, they never made a charge. Like, that was the one run they, they did. had they was cut from it to 14 11. to 5. No, no, they cut it to 11 in the fourth quarter, and then they immediately, and the crowd was going crazy, and then they immediately gave up a maxi three. And that was the closest they got uh, in the remaining game. Yeah, 944 That left. was the Daniel House pass to Maxi, right? Yeah. Daniel fucking House. Grandy asked me not to swear on the podcast. Oh, that means he listens to his children. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Grandy. Thank you for uh, listening. I, I apologize for uh, opening it up with a swear word. Uh, but I just no one had a good game tonight. Derek White doesn't exist uh, anymore in the playoffs. Has not showed up once in the Sixers series. Malcolm Brogdon... Um, I would say king of the bunny smokers. Not actually, he didn't smoke actually true bunnies tonight, but he missed shots that you've grown to expect Malcolm Brogdon to make. Just like floaters in the lane, open jumpers, uh, things that the Celtics have really relied upon him making. He was three of nine tonight. Um, Jalen Brown, kind of, I think the, the Sixers' physicality really affected him. We saw him with kind of, Sloppy dribbles. Uh, he had three turnovers in the first half. It just felt like the, the again, the Celtics really just never got in any sort of rhythm on either end of the court. I don't know if it was because it was just a colossal game of fouls, but Jason Tatum, I thought, actually did a decent job tonight, 36 points, but he was really the only person who could do anything, and even his scoring, he did nothing to, like, galvanize the team on the defensive end. It just felt like no stop, no stop, no stop. And you're not going to win a basketball game that way. Yeah. It was... I mean, I did not expect a performance like that from the Celtics. I thought they might lose. I was very sure they were going to win. I was looking back at the losses from last year. They responded uh, pretty well uh, in the Bucks and... Heat series, they won every single time they lost uh, in that series. They only, their first kind of consecutive or first loss after a loss in the playoffs last year came in game five uh, of the NBA Finals. And that was like when they were extremely demoralized after Steph's crazy game four. I expected them to come out angry and pissed off and like kind of have the same approach they had in game two. Um, But it just did not happen. This is not an excuse. This is a dumb biased sports fan observation. Tell me if I'm crazy here. 
Sixers got a lot of good rim bounces tonight. Starting with the very first possession of the game, Joel Embiid, end of shot clock, three bounces straight up and goes in. It felt like they had, I would say, seven or eight more just kind of things going, bouncing around the rim that fell in. I said that to Steve Hewitt. He sits next to me in the media section, and I turned to him at some point. I think it was uh, Maxie had, had one of the roles, and I said the exact same thing. They had like six or seven shots that just kind of hit the front rim, hit the backboard, and nestled in. And the Celtics could have used those. <laughs> would have been would have been good if those shots didn't go they in. They could have used those. Uh, one thing I it felt like the 76ers did, I'm not sure if it's actually true. Uh, my eyes might have been misleading me, but it felt like they went to Joel Embiid in the post more so on the side of the court rather than the free throw line. And I don't really know if that had much of a difference. Well, it makes it a lot harder to bring help, I think, because you can't help off the guy who's one pass away. I think I noticed the same thing. So the Celtics, if he's on the side of the basket, they have to bring help from, usually it's the guy on the complete weak side coming over, and I think it just opened up the passing lanes for the Sixers. And Missoula talked about after the game, was like, in this series they've been beat on offense when they double Embiid because the Sixers bench have shot well. They've been beat when they just kind of try to single cover Embiid. And I agree, like, they, this, uh, Celtics have seemed to figure out that, like, if Embiid's catching the ball at the post, there's different ways and different looks they can throw at him when he's in the middle of the court. But I think uh, when he's at the side, it's just harder for them to figure out, like, double teams to try to neutralize him that don't immediately expose shooters. I thought the, the Sixers didn't even shoot that well from three tonight. Like, they were 12 of 30. I just thought they were really good at driving closeouts tonight, especially Tobias Harris and Maxi and getting to the rim. And I thought a lot of that started with just like MB getting a lot of the attention from the side and then them kind of shooting the ball around, spraying the ball around. And the, the Celtics, I don't think were great at like kind of closing out. They let a lot of guys get past them. Um, but, you know, it's just that they weren't sharp at all. Lack in, of sharpness. In no phase of the game <laughs> were they sharp. Except, drawing, drawing except Except the late game Peyton Pritchard phase. By the way, Peyton Pritchard in the third quarter did not expect that wild card. They needed something, and he played five minutes before garbage time without doing anything. He hustled. Sure, he he didn't get a shot. He didn't that, but that was kind of just kind of the way the game went. They they call on somebody for energy, probably for outside shooting. And he doesn't really touch the ball. He did not take a shot until the game was essentially over. They did have a late run. <laughs> like if, if Peyton Pritchard had hit that three, that would have cut it to nine with about two minutes left. We would have, we would was, have business. We would have I been. was really interested to see what would have happened. Because you gotta leave in the you gotta leave in the guys with the juice. Although they probably but bring do they in bring in Joel Embiid? Do you have Luke Cornett and Mike Muscala guarding Joel Embiid? You got to. Do you do you stay with that group? Do you dust off Jason Tatum and bring him back into the game? Like I think that if that three had gone in, it was decision time for the coaches, and uh, it did not go in. And the the, the run. Basically, the only run of the game, one of the few runs of the game, just fizzled out. You didn't expect. I didn't come in tonight expecting to see 
a Peyton Pritchard, Sam Hauser, Mike Muscala, Luke Cornett, Grant Williams full court press. And that's what we got. The, the it, Mike Muscala trap in full court. It'll get you. It'll really get you. I, they, they could force an eight-second violation. Like, they were doing some things down the stretch there that were like, oh. And sure, the Sixers were up by 19 and had taken all their good players out of the game. But, you know what? They brought Harden back in. They did. They needed a press breaker. <laughs> that was that was an interesting stretch. And now there's just so much on game six. <laughs> Someone call it a must win. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon called today a must win. And I always, I always think it's a bad move to say that. Because then if you lose, <laughs> just like, oh, fuck it, we're done. Words have oh, no... Oh, sorry, sorry, Grandy. Words no longer have meaning if you're calling non-must-win must-win. I would refer to a to today's game as a, as a can't-lose. It was more of a should-have won. Or at least should-have shown up and played well and played a good brand of basketball and stayed committed and focused even when things go wrong. Hold on. The crowd was awful. They got no reason to cheer. They weren't. They didn't show up on time. They they were not loud at all. Even at the beginning, there was no energy from the crowd. There was not energy from the crowd at any point of the game. I think I think we should blame the fans. Yeah. I'm not blaming the fans <laughs> for for the play on the court at all. Part of the reason they were bad is because the Celtics sucked. It's because the 76ers... But that was an awful playoff crowd. The 76ers got all those bounces. They took them out of the game. I've... I'm used to Boston crowds being a lot better than that. I called it pathetic on Twitter. I stand by it. That was a bad crowd. Uh, Celtics were very deserving of the boos they received. But even early on, especially, like the, even the boos seemed half-hearted. Do it with your chest. <laughs> have some passion. Any Anyone have some passion. Besides Peyton Pritchard and Mike Muscala and the boys down the stretch. All right, so I have a question for you. What... Game six or game five loss should the Celtics feel worse about? We're comparing last year against the Milwaukee Bucks where they had a complete meltdown and uh, gave up a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter in a game they absolutely should have won and had basically a Bobby Portis putback that put uh, Milwaukee up. Just a, just a mind-bending loss against the Bucks there. Or just getting your absolute ass kicked for 48 minutes. I can see, I can make arguments for both, for feeling bad about both. Because one is just like, oh, our Achilles heel, late game execution, our game was there. Like, we should really feel bad about this because we don't know how to close games. And this one is just like, we just didn't show up in an important game. Also not good. So which is worse, JK? I think this one's worse. I think this one's worse. I think you can dismiss this one and just be like, no, yeah, we didn't have it that night. We'll just, we'll just like, something was off, we'll just show up in game six. <laughs> I, I mean, if they shrug this one off, they are all-time greats at shrugging off shit. I think they'll, I'm plenty able to shrug sorry, it off. I'm sorry, Granny, I keep swearing. <laughs> I, I'm a habitual swearer, and I can't stop. But... You so you think the Celtics should feel worse about their position heading into Game Six now than because I don't know if you remember, but the Celtics or at least Celtics fans did not feel good about the Celtics heading into Game Six in Milwaukee. This is I, I will say this: this is the first time 
to me, the Celtics will probably feel real doubt all season. Because I felt like all year long, even when they had stretches where they weren't great, even when they had the four games and five losses and stuff like that, I believe they've always felt like at their best, they are the best team in the league. And they've always felt like in games that matter, they were going to be able to put it together and keep it together and reach a level that nobody else could touch. And I I felt like that this whole season. Maybe they've even been arrogant to a point. Uh, Maybe arrogant isn't the right word because they won 57 games. It's not like they really had a ton of letdowns during the season, but they certainly believed the whole year that they were ready for anything. And to, to feel this way, and not only to have it like to lose, but to get tight and to miss open shots and like just really to, to just fade away in a game like that. This is the first time there's been room for doubt. Our, this season. Yeah. I this. mean, last year they were, going back to that game five, they were up by six with a minute 45 left and managed to And they were the up game. by double digits with like five minutes left and had two guys touch the final rebound that then bounced to Bobby Portis. And yeah, and at that point they hadn't proven to themselves they could do stuff like this. But this team is different. Part of the reason this team is different is they can't defend like they did they last year. They can't consistently they're, get they're, stops. They need to win... They need to outscore teams. Like they're they're decent on defense, but they need like they can't just be playing in transition. Like they need to get the ball in the basket and go back and set their defense and like to, in order to compete in games. And if they're just not making shots, I mean this is going to be true. Doc Rivers said it before the game, which I thought was funny. Uh, make or miss league, classic case of make or miss league. Celtics did an exceptional job of missing, and that just makes everything harder after that. And they just never got back into the habit of uh, of making. And so uh, dying by the three, I agree with you, but they're, they're just not in a position right now. I think this, they, they can't just like rely on their defense to get stops and get them back into the so games. This game, to me, was a lot more like game six against Miami than it was game five against Milwaukee. Because game six against Miami, they came home with a chance to end the series. And, like, Miami hit a, a, as I remember, it was like a bunch of tough shots, some at the end of the shot clock, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry. But the Celtics just never had it that game. And Jimmy Butler, that was his 47 points uh, performance, nine rebounds, eight assists. But, yeah, they were just, like, basically never really in that game uh, throughout, so that's maybe a more apt performance. Yeah, that was like the one time before the Warriors that the Celtics, like in a huge game, just were the other team totally controlled it. And even the Milwaukee series, it was like, like that game five was just an utter collapse at the end. It was an improbable loss. It was in some ways a bad luck loss, in some ways a just collapse loss. But the the Miami game at home was like, 
wow, they just didn't have it. And then game seven, they controlled the whole thing, one <laughs> on the road. <laughs> they so, did not control the whole, let's, let's be clear. They, they controlled not, the entire, they led the entirety of that game. Do you not remember what happened? I remember the exactly game seven? what happened. They Jimmy did not Butler. control the final five minutes of that game. They, that was one of the most epic collapses of all time. They're just lucky that they got away with it. They controlled the first 42 minutes of that game. Yes. So that's the type of response that they'll need. Now they need to go into Philly and win it's one. It's going to be Sixers Adam, who does right stuff for the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I was talking to him after the game, and he brought up the point that it's going to be – I didn't swear there, Grandy. It's going to be freaking insane in Wells Fargo Center on Thursday night with the 76ers having the chance to close out their like long historic rivals to actually get out of the second round, something they've never done in the Joel Embiid era. Sixers fans, also fans of the Birds, uh, are going to be filled to the brim with hoagies and brewskis, and they're going to be. It's going to be an absolutely wild environment, and I actually think that might help the Celtics. Like it, Al Horford just seems to be play better on the road, but talk about going into a tough environment. That's the very much weird thing about this Celtics team. Just feels like in the playoffs, a much better team on the road. I think I saw in their last 19 home games, they're 10 and 9. 9 and 10. 9 and 10. The home court advantage means nothing to the Celtics, and they seem to be a better road playoff team, but that environment is going to be insane on Thursday night. It's going to be a lot different than tonight's was in Boston, I would guess. Uh, they're going to have Ben Franklin ring the bell. They're going to... I don't even know where he's buried. I'm not sure Ben Franklin is going to ring the bell. Uh, but somebody, somebody needs to ring a bell around the Celtics. Wake those mo- mother... We're getting better. Th- See, that, those that's dudes improvement. Up. That's improvement. Wake those dudes up. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, I, I, was, I was stunned by the basketball the Celtics put forth tonight. And now, honestly, like... Let's say they do lose this series. We'll have a lot of time to talk about the offseason and everything else if they do lose this series. But if they do, to a Sixers team that isn't great, they're very good, this is not a great Sixers team. Right now, whoever wins this series is going to have a fantastic chance to win the NBA Finals. And if the Celtics lose this series... With the game one when Embiid was out, dropping that. With the game four, after they take a five-point lead with two minutes left, after they just needed one box out, one non-double, one stop of Harden, one three by Marcus Smart, one extra second, or one timeout maybe from Joe Mazzulla. Game five collapse against the Hawks, where they could have ended the series then and gotten another game against a non-Embiid Sixers team as well. That too. That that's a very good point. But if they lose this series, and if they can't get out of the second round with this rotation, then you have to ask serious questions about this entire team. Because this rotation, I don't know if it'll ever be this good again. Like, the, the depth that they have, I don't know if it'll ever be this good again because Al Horford is 36. He's not getting any younger. Um, 
Well, no one is, Jay. But they have, like, Jalen Brown, if he makes All-NBA, which I'm pretty sure he's going to, and gets an extension, which I'm pretty sure he would, then your opportunities to stay this deep are just going to be very difficult, which means there's going to be more on the top players in this franchise. And if they're not good enough to do it with really a complete, complete rotation, a complete, complete team, then you have to ask yourself questions about the direction of things. And I don't think they would blow it up or anything like that. But you'd no, have... Well- you would feel a lot differently about them after this series than before it. And, and frankly, like, the Celtics, they were very good during the regular season. They were never a great team. And we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe they, maybe they now they show up. Maybe it's, it's time to pump the brakes on the blow it up talk. I mean, they're like... I said they wouldn't blow it up, but I'm just saying... You're you're implying you're implying some not maybe not a blow it up but a, a like a corporate restructuring here. No, I'm I'm just saying you have to you have to wonder about this core in, you have in to, ways that you haven't yet. Do you have to wonder about the core because they like I don't know they lost games one and four in very close like circumstances? Are you like wondering about the core because of their like? faulty decision-making in the clutch. Like, it feels like the talent is there and they just, I guess, need to improve their their process or their ability to close out games. But I don't think it's like they're making mistakes uh, at the end of game four or them uh, not showing up as much as they needed to in game one Like shows, like, fundamental flaws. I agree with you that moving on to next season, everything is going to get harder with... Horford being another year older with uh, Jalen getting a, a huge extension and now, like, they're being super, like, the double tax apron and just being, like, harder to kind of do team construction that way. But I don't think we have to immediately evaluate, like, because of this loss, like, the fundamental principles of who the Celtics are are now unquestioned. No, they just royally uh, goofed up uh in the playoffs. I like I like goof goofed was a, a good word there. They they did royally goof up. They should probably stop royally goofing up. And look, the competitive fabric of this team is clear. When they are challenged, they normally rise to the challenge. They've overcome a whole lot during the time Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Al Horford. Oh, have they? Have been there. Is there any sort of story you could reference that uh, talks about the challenges those three guys have uh, been through? This this is one of them. This is <laughs> one more. Are you just going to republish that story? I, I, I thought it was interesting, though, what Jalen said when asked about the Milwaukee series last year. Because it was obvious, like, they were just throwing up a softball to him. Like, like Jalen, can you do it again? You know you can do it. And he was like, last year is last year. It's gone. Like He's we not. need to just play better than we did tonight, and see what see if what we've got left is enough. Like, all right. Um, no, nothing about like yeah, that gives us belief. Like yeah, we know we can do it. It was just like we need to not suck, which is pretty true. <laughs> it's pretty fair. true. Yeah, and like I don't know. I thought Jason Tatum. 
when he's frustrated after a loss, leans on the crutch of just saying you know after every uh, two sentences. I thought he had phased that out of his game, but clearly was uh, frustrated. He was very calm and cool and collected. I think he's always like, calm and cool and collected. If you look at what he said tonight, it's probably the exact same the thing, exact he, said same after thing he said after that Milwaukee loss. And the Miami loss. Yeah, that's just, we're going to go watch the film. And yeah, but he like made fun of it. He's like, and we're gonna, I'm, you're going to ask me all the same questions tomorrow at shoot-around, and I'm going to say the exact same things. And, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Like I, The thing about Game 6 is that I have no idea what's going to happen because the Celtics have not been at all consistent in terms of like their effort and I think Missoula said it tonight he's like this is the first time he thought that they just really didn't show up and play good basketball which is interesting to say because game one wasn't the best of games like they did uh I guess shoot 75 percent from the field the first half so you could say they they showed up at least on the offensive end but like this was the first time they had a dud. The fact that they could have such a dud in game a five of a of an important series, I don't think is a good sign. But I also would not be shocked at all if the like in game six the Celtics won by twenty five. Like there's just like there anything nothing no result in game six would surprise me at this point. I will no longer be surprised. Um... In the before the game, it was funny because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he won't mind if I share this. Michael Lee from the Washington Post, former writer at the Athletic, uh, he and I were in the bathroom at the same time, and I asked him what he expected. He's like, "I know it's not going to happen. I know Boston's not going to get blown out, <laughs> and anything else is on the table." And I was like, "Yeah, we could check that one off." Like. <laughs> I don't know what will happen, but I'm pretty sure the Celtics won't get blown out at home. They were blown out at home. They were stomped on at home. They uh, Did they make a mistake going for the two seed this year? Because turns out being at home is bad for them. They should they have gone the Milwaukee route. They should have rested guys. They should have just played on like Or gone the Miami or- route, I mean. Yeah, it seems like they need to have that chip on the shoulder. They need to be the underdog. And playing at home is not an advantage whatsoever. If this game was in Philadelphia tonight, they win. That's my uh, cockamamie uh, theory now. I love that you're just crushing full cans of Coke at 11.45 at night. Or uh, I guess you probably have to write for the next three hours. But uh, yep. that's a lot of caffeine intake for uh, so close to midnight. I'll go home and have a coffee. A coffee, too. Eat a whole pizza. Yeah, probably. And then I have an 8 o'clock a.m. flight to Philadelphia for what could be the Celtics' final game, which is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I'm just looking If over. they lose this series, they, they would have so many regrets about the game one and game four. Yeah, I would say also they probably regret game five. Yeah, but game, <laughs> game one and game four were so winnable. That's why. That's why you'd have the regrets there. Like, and that's that's why it gets all that stuff gets magnified in the playoffs. Because then all it takes is one dud, and the whole thing is flipped on its head. And here they are, down three two, fighting for their lives. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Wow, it was such a, a, a one, just like a, a not a good, like wasn't a fun basketball game, not just because I'm a Boston Celtics fan sitting there while they perform miserably, but it was just like a disjointed fouls galore on both sides. Um, I, don't, I don't really have any junk observations to, to occur in this game. It was just like, oh, this is really happening for three straight hours. Yeah. What would you think about Robert Williams? Because I was like... It felt like there was a concerted effort to play him more and to play him as a single big, and I just didn't. He didn't. He didn't do much. He caught a lob once, but I just don't know what he did on the court tonight. That was a general positive. Ah, uh, see, I, I, I wonder. Um, and maybe I'm just talking out of my ass because the Celtics. Just lost badly. That's what this podcast is, baby. Out of my butt. Sorry, Grandy. I'm just shocked Grandy listens to our podcast. Why are you always shocked people listen to our podcast? Because I don't know. I I don't have the same irrational confidence you do that uh, the things I'm saying are actually intelligent and entertaining. We're great basketball <laughs> minds. <laughs> You're, you, I know you and I are great <laughs> basketball minds. Uh, but... My thought tonight, and I've kind of been sitting on this one a, l- a little while, that they really should have done more during the regular season to try Al Horford and Robert Williams together and find offense that would work for those two guys. It feels like that was... that was. I disagree. Why? Because their offense was so good and they were able to get by because guys like specifically like this is not getting talked about enough where where's Derek White where is he on either end of the court we're not seeing him making the I blocks. thought he actually did a good job on Maxi when he was on Maxi especially in the second quarter like he was doing a really good job on Maxi Maxi got some stuff against Jalen Maxi got some stuff against Brogdon I thought Derek White did a really good job. But he's job not making the same impact plays. Or like, where are the blocks from him? Where is him driving into the lane? Where is the decision making from him? He is a non-factor on the offensive end of the court. And I, so I feel like in the regular season we have this emergence of Derek White. We have all these stories about how 
Derek White is taking the leap. He's playing with confidence. And him being in the game means that you're playing these lineups where it's like a single big makes sense because you have this kind of dynamic player in Derek White. It feels like Missoula's kind of like lost all confidence in Derek White, and now Malcolm Brogdon is that guy. Malcolm Brogdon, I think, has done some good things here in the playoffs and has been pretty reliable in terms of generating offense. I think he's been not good on the defensive end. And so I guess I agree with you, but I think it's also like on the double big, but I think it's a kind of a a hindsight thing where it's like Derek White, the guy who is so reliable to be a, a dynamic and impact player on both ends of the court, just has not been that way ever since game two of the Hawks series. Congrats to him for making second team all defense, by the way. Yes. Uh, I'd like uh, that kind of that guy who won that award to show up in a meaningful way. Yeah, and he went away deep in the playoffs last season. And his impact, which was very good last year, too, just was not there. Um, but he, like, early, late in the season, that, he was making decisive drives to the rim and knocking down, like, a lot well, of floaters. Jo- Joel Embiid is going to be at the rim. Drive to the rim and make a pass then. But, like, he's not looking to get to do anything. He Like, he just passed. Like, their, their entire offense is, like, let's find the ball to Tatum. I did thought they did a better job, at least late, of, like, trying to get Jalen involved more. Marcus Smart's very willing to drive and try to make a play. Brogdon's, like, willing to do that. Where is White's aggressiveness just in terms of driving kick and, like, facilitating that offense. It's something that made the Celtics a very good team, uh, especially in the second half of this year, and it's just been absent. And so I agree with you, like, but I feel like the reason they didn't go to double big is because they had so many guards who were able to do that, and a lot of that was predicated on the way Derek White was played. But Robert Williams also, when he's on the court, totally changes what the Celtics can do defensively, and especially when he's next to Al Horford. Like, what they can do defensively is totally different. And if you look at all the like numbers... Joey, Joey, like, Joey Maz loves buckets, though, and he loves three-pointers. And with Joel Embiid in the game and Robert Williams in the game, you're basically just planning Joel Embiid in the paint, and it's, it's so much harder. I don't know if this is, like, the best matchup to have double bigs uh, in the game. Like, you, like they're, you, you're automatically giving something up on offense... Uh, by doing that, and then you kind of revert back to the team you are last year, where you may be stronger defensively, but you can't get a bucket for shit. For poop. <laughs> we do swear a lot, don't we? I've never really noticed when we swear a lot, because that's just how I speak all the time. But uh, we should probably stop that a little bit. But I just feel like, like it should be an option for them. Yeah, it, should be it, more it doesn't feel like the it's something they can, they can turn to. Like, right? Robert Williams is a game-changing talent. And he's somebody who can... He's an energy guy. He can bring them out of a funk. He played 18 minutes tonight. He hasn't played... Has he played 20 minutes in any game this series? I think maybe one. But I agree with you that, like, it should be a card they're able to play. And if it's, like... Especially when you're trying to generate momentum... The best way to do that is to get a couple stops in a row and get out in transition, and it's just they never turn to it tonight, and it's not something they turn to really in the playoffs, and it's like they should probably have like, oh, when we need stops, we can put in this all-defensive lineup and just guarantee that's going to be harder for the other team to get buckets. At no point tonight was it hard for the 76ers to get buckets. Just a bad, bad performance. It has us thinking about everything. Just, just considering all options. Um, I will say, before 
the game, you proclaimed that you should be the hero among us. But did you notice that the actual hero among us uh, saved someone's life on a plane? Uh, do you still say that you should be... He saved the whole plane's lives, right? Uh, I, I think so. I think someone was trying to like take over the plane and he restrained the person and kept them from taking over the plane. So, like, where do you compare to him in terms of uh, being a hero? I would say... Well, first, let's first explain what your alleged heroic act was. It, it wasn't alleged. This was, <laughs> this was a factual... You did it. You did it. I'm, I'm not saying that so, you didn't do it. So, the, 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 the pregame meal in Boston is a buffet. And tonight, they had a pasta station. And the problem with the pasta station... Is that it takes a while. Inefficient pasta station. The problem with tonight was that the pasta station line was in the same direction as the buffet line. Normally normally in the regular season, they have the buffet line on one side of the media room and the pasta station on another side of the media room. But it's the playoffs. you got more media here. There's not even a media room anymore. It's all kind of in the auxiliary area. And so the line was uh, the exact same line. And it was going, it went around the corner, it was going on for days. And so... So, so everyone was watching this. Big line. And saying... Huge line. And saying it is a huge mistake that the people from the pasta line are lined up in the same way as the buffet line. And so the people in the buffet line couldn't go through the buffet because the other idiots in the pasta line were waiting there. I was an idiot in the buffet line waiting for my pasta. See? And you know what I said? I saw what everyone else saw, and I said, you know what? I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to do something about this. And so I alerted the proper authorities, (laughs) and they went back, and they switched the lines. And you know what? Pretty soon... The whole buffet line was cleared out. Everybody was able to just go grab a plate and eat food. And it was quick. And it was simple. And it was thanks to me, a true hero. Did I save lives on an airplane? No. Did I restrain someone who was trying to do something incredibly bad and maybe kill a bunch of people? No. But food was in people's mouths because of me. Yeah, whose mouths... uh what you neglected to mention is that as soon as the two lines separated, who should show up uh, very close to the, the start of the pasta line but one Jay King? It was almost as if he was entirely self-motivated by just him wanting, I believe that was your second uh, helping of pasta, and you just wanted to get to the front of the line. Am I, am I wrong in saying that you uh, saw... That a shorter line had been created and, and then immediately hopped in line to get pasta after doing your uh, alleged heroic acts. There was no motivation. My motivation was not to make the pasta obtaining easier for myself. My, make the pasta obtaining my easier for motivation, everyone. As my motivation is every day, <laughs> was to be heroic. And <laughs> it's a good thing you failed every day uh, 35 years before this, and this was your first heroic act. The fact that I solved a major issue single-handedly, now, you should be giving me respect. You should not did be. You, did you solve the issue? Because what ended up happening is that someone just yelled, hey, 
these two lines. You could have done that, but no, you just... Uh, I alerted the proper authorities. Pulled on the sweater of nice Miriam and said, there should be two lines, ma'am. And then she had to do all of the actual work of alerting someone else to do the yelling. And so really, I don't know if you, what, what you actually accomplished. It happened because of me. It happened because of me. If we're going for but-for causation, uh, you'd write, but I don't think you're going to... Uh, I don't think I'm going to call you the hero of the evening. And I was reluctant to call you that before I saw the actual hero among us. Did he save that plane today? Because no, he didn't. <laughs> so that means today I was the most heroic inside TD You Garden. didn't solve any of the efficiency issues with the pasta station. It was st- it's still a very slow food delivery system, and you did nothing about that. That pasta's great, though. They it's, make a I great mean, pasta. I do like I mean, uh, I like the, the separate buffet. The, the meat carving station is normally pretty good. Um... The guy's very chipper, always tells you to drive, get home safe, which I appreciate. Um, yeah. That was... I still can't believe that game. Uh, Chris Humphreys and Adam Silver in the building tonight. Coincidence? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd agree. That's all I got for junk. That's it? I told you, I was. it wasn't a very... Junk-filled evening for me. I mean, it was it was junk in a bad way. It wasn't a fun, whimsical junk. Oh, so do you? Have you? Um, I think you follow this guy, or at least you uh, like his tweets when he makes fun of me. But have you seen the guy who is on Twitter who hates me and his handles at Spam Packard? Oh yeah, yeah. He just writes every single time I tweet. He's like, "Oh, you're so zany," and I, it uh, it's funny. I gotta give him credit. That's a good. That's a that's a good call out. Like, that's exactly what I'm going for. And yeah, he got me. Shouts to Spam Packer. So he just replies to all your tweets. Not all of them. I don't know. I I if I'm being honest, I have him muted. I only see them when you like his tweets, which are usually making fun of me. But then I see like, uh, oh yeah, he just says, oh, you're so zany. So I typically, he's like really mean. Oh yeah. Just. Mean spirited. Yeah, tweeting. but you're you're nobody till somebody kills you. You know, like they they're not mean to nobodies. Or they they who yeah who <laughs> at spam packer is funny. Like that's just a funny handle. He stays committed to it too, and he'll. I mean, he he gets really engaged in my mentions. Sometimes he just takes shots at people. Just really mean. No, you don't have to be that mean, spam packer. If you're. Maybe if you were a little zanier, you'd have a, yeah. a better time trolling. Be funny when you uh, when you're trolling. At least I well, like yeah, the zany is a good bit, but don't be just outright mean to people. Agreed. All right. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna do it for us. Do you have any bold predictions for Game Six? I don't want to know about a winner or or like who's gonna win by, but like. Any wrinkle that we see, like a, the who's the Daniel House of Game Six? Do we see maybe more Sam Hauser in the game, just trying to get some shooting on the floor? Do we see Peyton Pritchard? Is there going to be a random Blake Griffin performance? Who do you think is the the one guy we're not talking about today that we might be talking about Thursday evening? Who? Ah, uh, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin comes in, takes two charges on James Harden, gets him in foul trouble. They have to take Harden out of the game probably late in the third quarter. Uh, Embiid's 
gassed at this point. They have no one to rely to on offense. Celtics win by 30. We're coming home for Game 7. Oh, that reminds me. Another shout-out. Sam Sheehan, uh, Sammy Shee, has correctly predicted every single game in the series, and he did so before the series. Like, exact order, pretty much the, uh, had the, the type of game the entire time. He thought the, uh, the Sixers would win by only by, like, five tonight. So he had that wrong, but he's gotten game he correctly might have in sequence. Me. I don't think I can see him anymore on Twitter. Uh, no, he just, uh, I think, got banned from Twitter, so I had to come back with a, uh, a new account. So I don't know. You probably don't follow the new NBA, at NBA Baby. Sammy She, He got banned from Twitter <laughs> for, for, for well, being well, satirical? I, I Well, definitely his Sam Sheehan NBA account got blah, uh, banned from Twitter. I don't know what that, but then I think he got other accounts banned from Twitter, so I had to come back with a new one. True people, true people who are online, true posters will get banned from Twitter from time to time. Like that's that's how you know you're really See, in the game. Sammy Shee, he might be the Celtics of Twitter accounts. <laughs> he, he gets banned. Who knows? Maybe rightfully banned. I don't know. And then he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. And who knows? Can they come back one more time? So he's predicted a Celtics win in Game Six. And then uh, who knows what spice is happening in Game 7. He didn't give a prediction for that. He just said it was going to be a wild ride. Uh, big Jock Landale fan, uh, at least me, on this side of the room. How do you feel about Jock Landale? He's tough. He's tough. I just like the name Jock Landale. He's tough. Getting his ass whipped tonight, though. Yeah. His butt whipped. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I think we probably threw in, what, a, a, a two dozen swears there after explicitly saying we are not going to do it. We explicitly said. <laughs> Get it? No, I think. Uh, Explicit? Like like a swear word? Yeah. Oh, that's humorous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here at the depths of the TV garden in our very fancy room next to a machine that is not worrying. That is worrying. Maybe, but I don't know if the folks can hear it whir on the recording. Uh, if you can hear it whir, Spam Packard, let us know. Sammy Shee, let us know. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back Thursday after Game 6. Who knows what's going to happen, but at this point, folks, anything is possible! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 